Parents Podcast Episode 044. You're seen to chat about life, family, and of course, Humphrey's Key. I'm Sarah Jahiniak, podcast host, writer, mom of three, wife, and total umphreak. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the show. I hope that you were able to check out last week's show, a recap of the recent three concerts in the Northeast, March 21st in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, March 22nd in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and March 23rd in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, If you've not had a chance to check that out, there is a link in the show notes where you can give that a listen. Of course, we have to talk about the exciting, exciting news announced March 29th. The album Anchor Drops is being re-released. I'm so excited. (laughs) As an extended edition of the album. And it's being pressed on vinyl for the very first time. Oh, I'm so excited. All to commemorate its 15th anniversary, which is just insane to think that it's been 15 years, too, since that album came out. It will feature two distinct versions of the album, a remastered edition and a remixed version from the original master tapes. Ah, my God. I'm just so, so, so excited for this. I'm just... ah. Personally, this album for me is the one that, you know, really turned me on to Umphreys as far as the studio album goes. This album personally got me through some really shitty times in my life. Um, I've been waiting for them to put this on vinyl for so long because my husband and I are record collectors, so there's that piece to it too. Um, To hear you know, these remastered songs is just going to be amazing. And of course, you know, it's the first Umphreys studio album with Chris Myers on drums. So, you know, a big moment in Umphreys history as well. This is so, so exciting. Pre-order is available now for this um, with a release date of May 17th. Some of the goodies included in this, a sick 16-page booklet featuring handwritten lyrics and a bunch of studio and band photos. And if you take part of the pre-order, I know you'll receive an exclusive 15th anniversary pin. We definitely have our pre-order in. I cannot wait um, to have this in my hands next month. It's going to be so, so awesome. Um, I put a link in the show notes where you can find all of the information about this pre-sale and everything that will come with your order so you can check it out and snag yourself a copy of this classic Umphreys album. So let's dive into this week's episode. We'll chat about the recent two-night stint at the Ryman Theater in Nashville, Tennessee, March 29th and 30th. There is a ton of history in this building, best known as the home of the Grand Ole Opry from 1947 to 1977, and it was the Union Gospel Tabernacle from 1892 to 1904. The venue, obviously, being a church first, um, it still has the pews throughout the entire venue and currently seats 2,362. This 
iconic venue has hosted seriously countless people in music. Um, Dolly Parton, Tammy Wynette, Hank Williams, Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash, Neil Young, Ringo Starr, Garth Brooks, and seriously, so, so many more. Um, apparently there's also a museum inside of the venue, and, um, if you listen back to the shows, Bayless actually mentions during night one that when they were doing sound check, people were in there, you know, looking at the stuff in the museum and everything, and they just, like, sat down during sound check, which, you know, I wondered about that, you know, so having those people in there is very interesting. Um, everything about the history in that building and the entire city of Nashville, I personally would love to check out Nashville the next time that Umphreys is in town. It's something my husband and I talked about for next year. Um, I heard that the sound was great in the venue, but that the church pews did make it difficult to dance and rage properly. Um, also, courtesy of my brother Josh from Umphreys Anonymous, um, who was there that weekend, he mentioned, um, you know, getting around can be a little bit expensive, you know, doing the Lyft and Uber thing in the city because of the way that the city is set up. So suggest that perhaps renting a car um, if you're going to adventure the city, but then Ubering to the show, obviously, to avoid any issues afterward. Um but yeah, something to think about if you are going to be heading to Nashville in the future. And also, I want to mention that weekend, um, Stasic did not one, but two after shows, Doom Flamingo on Friday night and One Punch on Saturday night with Chris and Mike Ganster from Aqueous. I always say his last name wrong. Super sorry for that, dude. Um, any videos, photos, or info that I find from those two after shows, all of that can be found in the show notes. And also, if you did not know, this was kind of a home show for Chris, who lives in Nashville, and also a welcome home kind of show for Andy, who recently moved to Nashville. So hopefully having two of them in Nashville as a home base will mean, you know, more shows, maybe a New Year's Eve, um, who knows, some more in the South, hopefully in the future, because I would love to see some more Umphreys in the South for sure. All right, so let's get to the music from the weekend. March 29th, set one opens with Maybe Someday, and then Red Tape coming out next, featuring an expansion in its jam that I feel was the first highlight of the evening. The expansion beginning to take shape slightly after four minutes in, taking the real dive into its journey a few minutes later, and then it slowly opens up to reveal a beautiful jam slightly before nine minutes, and it just bursts full open really illuminating all over and it just soars way out and then boomerangs back around into red tape. I just love that tune so much anyways. Um, uh, educated guests coming up next, followed by an always adventurous It Doesn't Matter, 
another one that I thought was a highlight from the evening as well. This tune begins to go on its journey about six minutes. Stay sick, laying down some foundation and funk underneath this entire section of the jam. And I'm going to add it in here. He definitely was on it this this whole first night for sure. Um, it can, This jam continues for a minute before it takes a different route a few minutes later. And it gains all sorts of momentum. And then it opens right into this like 80s feeling dance party. Stasic again right here, the MVP in this next chapter of the story. But they're not sticking around in that space too long, moving it away from that dance party and coming around to begin assembling the pieces back together to move it back into It Doesn't Matter. And this part from 13 and a half, and they build it way, 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 way up and then smash it back into the song. That right in there is my favorite part of this entire jam right in there. Um, this one I did include on my 2019 Hall of Fame contenders list, and I have no idea who Catherine is, but it was her birthday, and she got this one for a shout-out, so that's pretty fucking sweet. It was really, really good. <laughs> um, ending the set with a plunger, Anchor Drop Sandwich, Bayless talking about the Anchor Drops re-release before they started that one. The beginning of this plunger sandwich is where the real meat is stepping right into just straight up rock and roll slightly before three and a half minutes in. Joel coming out to take the reins for a little bit slightly before five and a half in heading back into that straight rock and roll jam for a few minutes before kind of cooling it a little bit changing directions a few minutes later and deciding to open itself up and become this beautiful uplifting jam every time I've listened to it this part just gives me goosebumps it it really does I feel like this jam particularly the section here until about 12 minutes when it begins to trickle down it sums up part of what I love about their playing it just if you listen to that, I, I feel like you'll understand. Um, it comes down, as I mentioned, and moves into Anchor Drops, last seen during the VIP set in Brooklyn, and before that, last year, August 19th in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then moving that into the second half of Plunger to close out the first set. I personally think that this next set Set two of night one is the best set of this two-night run. Um, I was not at these shows, as I mentioned, but I did watch the webcast twice, actually. Um, and then, of course, listen back to them to do the recap for the show. And each time, I felt the same way. I pretty much put every song from this set on my 2019 Hall of Fame contender list. There are, you know, two that I did not, maybe three. Um, so I would recommend that if you listen back to any of this, which you really should listen to the whole weekend because the whole weekend is just fire. But definitely give this second set a listen because it's just 
it's amazing. It really is. <laughs> um, this second set opens with a very powerful Miss Tinkles that gets comfortable in its jam slightly before three and a half in with Stasic again laying some groundwork for where this jam is about to head and it gets a very aggressive dance party feel to it for a minute transitioning but keeping that intensity growing and morphing getting nastier as it continues just building up so high all of this intensity and energy and then it just smashes right back into tinkles oh Everything about this song, I mean, come on. If you're listening to this, if you're listening this far into my show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to, I don't have to explain it that far. Um, and this version was definitely one of those massive ones and a killer way to start this set off for sure. Um, a massive res resolution coming up next, dedicated by Jake to his parents, Julie and Craig Sinegar, who were in, in attendance for their 44th wedding anniversary. Julie and Craig are seriously the nicest people I have ever met. I've had the extreme pleasure of spending some time with them last year when I visited Boondock Studio and my friend Jim Leap. Um, they shared some very, very awesome stories about Jake and their family and the history of that studio. It was just such a surreal experience to be able to do that. I still, every single day, I think about it at least once. And I am incredibly grateful to Julie and Craig Sinegar and Jim Leap and Jake for allowing my husband and I to come to that space and, you know, have that experience. And it was just, it was absolutely amazing. And, you know, something I will never forget. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful to all of them for that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was just absolutely amazing. Um, I will link the episode, um, in the show notes where I talked about my visit to Boondock. Um, and I also had the pleasure of interviewing Julie. If you did not know, um, I will link that episode in the show notes as well. Um, she did talk about her marriage to her husband, Craig, um, having Jake when she was only 19 and what it was like, you know, having him play in these bars with these older guys when he was a kid. It's just a really great interview. She's just such a wonderful, sweet lady. Um, so definitely give that a listen if you haven't, if you have listened again, because she's just so awesome. Um, and I'm so grateful too, for all of the support that, you know, Julie and Craig and Jim have shown to this podcast, you know, they've all been very supportive and very great in, in this project of mine. So very, very grateful for that as well. And Jake is so lucky to have such wonderful, supportive and loving parents and I'm very sure that he is aware of that and yeah they're just very cool people so anyway <laughs> back to this resolution it goes on its adventure early kind of meandering along at first but finding its legs about two and a half in and 
decides pretty early to start running and it opens full up slightly after four minutes in. Jake, of course, taking the reins throughout this before it goes back into resolution and then sinks back into its jam slightly before six and a half in. Stay sick, man. Coming in again. Getting muddy as hell here with his sound as the jam begins to expand. This part having an 80s vibe, but at the same time, an almost like dirty griminess to it. I don't know. I just love everything about it. The jam changing its mind, getting heavy slightly after 10 minutes. Very serious and I'm not fucking around feel to it. With it all breaking away and Jake just shredding, coming back to dizzyingly like piece them all back together and staying along that same aggressive heavy side, but dropping down a few minutes later, moving romantically into the next section of the jam that eventually trickles down and sweetly fades out an absolutely beautiful, amazing tribute to Jake's parents' amazing accomplishment of 44 years of marriage. Congratulations to you guys. Seriously, that's that's very, very awesome. Seasons coming up next, followed by Women, Wine, and Song, I believe another highlight from this second set, Heading into improv, only about three minutes in, the expansion of this song over the last year has been a lot of fun to watch. The jam starting to come down about seven minutes. Joel coming through, really just tickling those ivories. I love it when we see that kind of stuff from Joel. A nice little Bayless solo for a minute, and then it comes down... Again, stay sick. Come on, man. He fucking killed it this night one. Laying down some funk again before the jam picks up life and continues on for a little bit. However, they do abandon that jam and let it trickle out, moving into the triple wide. (sighs) This version of triple wide. Featuring a Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac Jam, beautifully nestled inside of it, perhaps to commemorate the fact that Stevie Nicks was being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that same evening, becoming the first woman to be inducted twice, once for her work with Fleetwood Mac, and this time for her solo work. And ironically, I just saw Fleetwood Mac for the first time ever, like three days before this Ryman show with the T's. So, of course, when they went into it, I was all excited. Love Fleetwood Mac so much. It was an amazing show. And honestly, if you've never seen them, you're not sure about it, you should go because it's it's going to be a good time. I'm, I kind of regret not seeing them sooner, um, but I'm grateful to have caught them now. And it was a really great show. Definitely go if you have the chance. Um, anyway, the way that they tucked that Rhiannon inside of there was just absolutely beautiful. Um, the band also did play a full Rhiannon at the Ravinia 
um, August 14th, 2015, we were at that show and it was, it was very awesome. Um, I will link that in the show notes so you can hear, you know, the full version of that. Um, back to this triple wide, of course it was a total dance party and the way that they just stepped right into that Rhiannon, like it was nothing. I'll tell you, shit like that just makes me smile when I hear them, you know, just flawlessly move into something like that and then just incorporate such a classic song like that into their own thing, you know? I just love it, and I honestly can't tell you how many times I've listened to this version, and there is zero shame in that. Um... They only play with the triple wide a little bit and very delicately at the end. And, you know, they just bring it to an end. They don't extend it into some sort of crazy dance party after that Rhiannon jam. Um, In the kitchen, to close out the second set, the jam heading in slightly after three minutes, changing direction and exploring this very open and hopeful jam, but only for a few minutes before It decides to change direction again, going on a totally different adventure at about eight minutes before it begins to build its way back home a minute later and then heading back into In the Kitchen. And Encore was only one song, Rocktopus, to close out the first night at the Ryman. March 30th, the VIP set that actually opened only happened like two hours before the full show later that evening, which is different. Usually it's, you know, earlier in the day, like afternoon-ish time. Um, anyway, (laughs) this 45-minute set opened with Cemetery Walk 1, followed by Cemetery Walk 2, um, having a police tune kind of vibe to the very beginning of the jam, not staying there, but moving more toward a curious and sneaky kind of vibe around the three-minute mark and really embracing that sneakiness to it as it gets fuller and continues on, eventually aggressively slamming back into Cemetery Walk 2. And while that jam in Cemetery Walk 2 was killer... I think that the bottom half that comes next was the standout highlight from this VIP set. Not a super long or extended bottom half by any means, only coming in at about like nine minutes. Um, But for me, the emotion that I felt when this jam started to sink in slightly before three and a half opening up to this just really gorgeous and hopeful jam and how it very nicely slides right back into the bottom half. Just everything about that. I love it so much. And after they're finished, Ryan makes a very valid point about the people in attendance at the VIP shows being so into it. That's one of the things that I love about doing the VIP You know, everybody is there because we want to be. Obviously, we paid for it, um, but we want to be there. So, you know, we're really into the whole thing, the whole 45 minutes. So, you know, if you've never done VIP, um, really, you should do it at least once. You know, just pick 
a run and do it. And I guarantee you will not be disappointed. I've never been disappointed with VIP any time that we've done it. So you should definitely check it out. Um, Dear Lord, coming up next, this one last played this past year, October 13th at the Pier 6 Pavilion in Baltimore, Maryland. That being the only play Dear Lord saw in 2018, but with the recent pattern of them playing a song at a VIP show and then busting it out not that long after, um, I feel that we will at least see this one one more time this year at least. Uh, they round out the VIP set with Alex's House and Push and Pull. I absolutely love Alex's House. Um, they've played it one other time uh, earlier this year, January 11th, at the National in Richmond, Virginia. Absolutely outstanding. Um, and I'll actually link that show from the National in the show notes so you can give it a listen if you'd like. The show later that evening, set one, opens with October Rain and moves nicely into Spires, dropping into improv about the five-minute mark, dancing it around for a little bit, and it does come down but doesn't lose its momentum, and then begins to flow out but dances right back and doesn't go out on any sort of crazy adventure here, kind of keeping it close and sweet with the ending of this. It is noted as unfinished on All Things Umphreys, and they move it right along into Half Delayed, and then moving right along after that into Day Nurse. Coming down in the jam slightly before five and a half in, here we get a little taste of Andy and the jam building itself back together into Day Nurse. Brendan and Jake switching over to acoustics for the next few songs that we're going to see. Uncle Wally coming up first. The last one we saw was January 13th of last year at the Taft Theater in Cincinnati, Ohio. So a little over a year. And that was the only time Uncle Wally was played in 2018. Um, The Pequod coming up next, one that you will find on the soon-to-be-re-released Anchor Drops album. And Brendan keeping the acoustic, but Jake going back to the electric to move it into a full band wait around. This song has so much life to it when it's played like this. I think that there's more soul and feeling and meaning to the song when everybody contributes to it. It's exactly what that that song needs to it. You know, more fullness and more body to it. And just, it's always so beautiful when they play it. And the crowd after this, when you listen to the recording, everybody is just absolutely losing it because it was, it was just beautiful the way Jake's playing the end of it. And... I did hear that the crowd in Nashville, no, both nights, being like the loudest that people have ever heard at a show that people were just, you know, losing it. And you can hear it in, in the recording how the crowd was. And Bayless definitely calls it out too. I'm sure that it was very awesome. Listening at home and hearing the crowd act like that is just, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, the Crooked One making an appearance next 
And although I would have liked to hear this one in Cleveland or Pittsburgh, um, watching it on the webcast was still not too shabby. Um, this one actually seeing play earlier this year on night two of Jam Cruise. It starts to venture out about the four minute mark, building up and spilling out and over before switching gears, revving up and gaining some serious confidence as it soars through to the end of the song. I just love the Crooked One. Just such a great song. Um, a hefty two by two that slowly builds up in its move into the jam, almost in a dreamlike state before aggressively gaining some serious balls and transforming right into the bold last few minutes of the song. Bayless unveiling this beautiful solo, revealing itself fully slightly before nine and a half minutes exploring out throughout the rest of the end of this song and Joel even calling out Bayless when this whole thing was over really like top notch there for sure um 10 years gone by Led Zeppelin to close out the first set it is noted on all things Unfreeze that the last time they played this was September 11th 2003 but According to a tweet from Joel, when it was played in 2003, it was actually a tease. And I looked it up on Archive. There is a recording, so I'll throw it in the show notes. And on there, it's listed as just an intro. Um, it's like a minute, 27 seconds or something. Um, then when it was played on March 2nd, 2002, it was only one verse. And when it was played on February 2nd, 2002, it was just an instrumental. So this one is actually the first full version with lyrics played by the band. It was so beautiful and it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it and talking about it again. Bayless's voice is so perfect for Zeppelin anyways, but this song was just, it was just beautiful. And the Jason Bonham set at Red Rocks is going to be absolutely out of this world. Every single time that they've covered Zeppelin since they've announced that they were doing that it just gets me so much more excited for this it's it's gonna be absolutely amazing and I hope that you are able to be there for it set two of the final night of the two nights at the Ryman opens with a standalone divisions really digging its heels in slightly before six minutes Chris and Andy seriously just slaying it here for like three minutes in this jam as the rest of the guys build the pieces of divisions back up around it going back into that for a little bit before forging another path on the adventure building into a beautiful hopeful and just full of life jam that carries this tune along soaring into a very full of optimism feeling in this jam until it comes down and moves so romantically back into divisions. 
And this song is great when it's split up in a set and, you know, having the conclusion of this song come back later to close the show or, you know, the second set or whatever. It's always awesome. You know, the intensity at the end and, you know, the anticipation of where they're going to stick it and all of that. But I personally, personally believe that there is nothing like a standalone divisions. That song is just a beautiful piece of music. And when it's played in its entirety and, you know, having that little jam adventure in the, in the middle of it, of course, but, you know, having it standalone like that is just, it's beautiful. And I love when they just keep it that way. And this version is a very nice meaty one clocking in at slightly over 20 minutes. It's just, it's gorgeous. Divisions is just beautiful. Um, Mulches coming in really hard next. And every single time I hear this song, I will always remember summer camp last year being on the rail during this song and the, it doesn't matter sandwich in there. Boy, that was, that was delicious. I love everything about this song and the intensity of it and how aggressive it is. And visually, you know, when they're playing it, I mean, we all know, we've all seen a mulches. It's just, fuck yes. This one comes to a halt about four minutes in before it moves into this reggae dream sequence sounding jam. Stasic taking the jam, you can hear underneath it about seven minutes and then taking the reins of this, getting it all sorts of dirty and grimy. And then Joel coming in to make it sound so otherworldly before it gets dramatically built back up into mulches. This is so nasty. I've definitely thrown this one on my 2019 Hall of Fame contenders list to keep track of it. And like I said, I was not at these shows, but after this was over, I was just like, God damn. And then, you know, if you watch the live uh, stream or listen to the shows, Bayless absolutely shared the same sentiment 100% with that. And, you know, everybody else in the room, I know they did too. That was certainly, certainly very nasty. And, you know, things like that and everything else that they've been playing so far this year, and it's only April, it's going to be very, very hard to cast votes for next year's Hall of Fame. This year was very hard, you know, not like it's ever super easy. Um, But, you know, there are definitely some really standouts in the past it's been very easy to make your picks and I feel like this year it was really really difficult and next year is going to be really hard as well I mean they're just killing it and just really knocking it out of the park so it's going to be interesting to see what we uh what we pick next year um Thin Air coming up next, last seen during the VIP set in Atlanta for the New Year's Eve run. Joel beautifully leading this jam about two minutes in, 
dramatically moving it along. And then we're seeing more of Andy a few minutes later, slightly before six minutes. And then it just goes off on the rest of its adventure. Love Thin Air 2. Such a, such a great tune, too. Um, a debut cover of the song White House Road by Tyler Childers. Brendan playing on acoustic during this. Ryan and Steve Britch's idea, apparently. They've been trying to get everyone on board, and they finally got everyone to say yes. This is the first time I've ever heard this song or even heard of Tyler Childers. I'm having a problem saying his last name, just like rolling it off my tongue. Um, but I've never heard of him either or any of his music. And, you know, Ryan and Bridges were damn right about this. This is a song for them to cover, especially being in Nashville. It was the perfect genre of music to cover. Um, and Jake was perfect to sing this. And I know that there's no way the first time that Stasek heard this song that that's exactly what he thought of. It was very awesome. Um, there is a YouTube video, I'll link it in the show notes that you can give it a watch, um, was, and once again, Umphreys is exposing me to music and bands and artists that I had no idea existed and, you know, introduced me to this music that I would have judgmentally dismissed, um, thinking that it was going to be you know, stupid poppy country music and not giving it a chance. And, you know, they've opened me up to this new artist and I'm so grateful for that. So it was very good. If you have not listened to it, definitely should give it a listen. Um, Jerkonen coming up next. Another highlight from the weekend, I believe, dancing into its jam about four minutes in, getting some serious filthiness from Ryan around the nine minute mark. Bayless coming in very gently and thoughtfully with the meaningful lyrics of this tune. I felt like something about his voice in this song in particular um, was different than the rest of the night. It just sounded more silky and more tender in the moment of him singing those lyrics. Um, and then Jake, of course, shredding the end of this out before it comes down to delicately end the second set of the second night at the Ryman. And the encore, one song, um, Ringo, featuring Over the Hills and Far Away by Zeppelin Tease nestled inside of it, coming out slightly after six minutes. And uh, like I just mentioned, it just, it gets me, it gets me so excited for that Red Rock set. It's going to be so much fun. Um, they do play with it a little bit and take us on one more adventure, having all sorts of fun with the end of it. And, you know, obviously they had an amazing time with these two shows and I, I would love to go next year because obviously it is the place to see Umphreys. So that's all I have for this episode of the podcast. Anything that I referenced throughout the show can be found in the show notes as well as the set list for the shows discussed and where you can listen to them. 
I would love for you to check out the show's website. That information is in the show notes as well. There is a blog on the site, advertising information, where you can find any info about upcoming meetups and one convenient place where you can find all of the podcast episodes. Any questions or comments about anything talked about in this episode or any other episode that you have listened to, um, please feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you guys and learning anything new about Umphreys and even podcasting. I'm still learning as I go with this project, so if you have any tips or tricks or pointers or anything, please feel free to reach out. I love getting new advice, and yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Much obliged.